Welcome to the Mosh Zone, episode 146, week 146, volume 146, number fucking 146. How you going guys? How's your week been? Thank you for tuning in. This week's guest is Kyle of Brand of Sacrifice, and that will be coming up later in the show. Not much to start off with, except thank you to everyone that listened to last week's show, our first show of the year. Thank you to everyone that got in touch and said they were happy for the show to be back. Just fuck yeah, I appreciate all of you. Thank you so much for getting back into the Mosh Zone and giving this show a G up that it needed. Enough of the ramblings, let's get into the main part of the show. This week, I got to sit down with Kyle of Brand of Sacrifice. First thing I got to say, thank you so very, very, very much, dude, for taking time out for me and the Mosh Zone. Much love, much respect, much appreciated. So who are Brand of Sacrifice? Well, they formed in around 2018. They've got one album and one EP to their name. They are soon to release their sophomore album titled Lifeblood. Comes out March 5th. Style-wise... Brand of Sacrifice are a slam band mixed with deathcore, mixed with a bit of extreme experimental stuff. It's heavy, it's balls to the wall aggressive, and I'm a big fan. I was excited to get Kyle on the show. He's very humble, very open, and a really great conversation was had. That chat with Kyle is coming up now. Uh, So everyone gets the same start-off question, which is basically... Yeah, not a heavy band, but do you remember as a kid, an artist that made you suddenly aware that music is, existed and you became obsessed with as a kid? As a kid, um, I'd say probably, well, aware of music. Um, so I came from sort of a traditional Christian family growing mm-hmm. up and, uh, when I was very young, there wasn't as much sort of pop music or alternative music or anything like that in the house. And then eventually my parents sort of loosened up. Um, so on my dad's side, he listened to a lot of um, alternative rock growing up. But my mom listened to sort of uh, a lot of pop stuff at the time, like Baxter Boys and NSYNC and all that kind of stuff. So that was sort of my first exposure when I was really young was uh, pop music and those kind of bands. What, as far as my own tastes went, when I sort of reached elementary school, I, I found heavier music through uh, Linkin Park. Mm. So I'd say that that band and Chester Bennington as a vocalist sort of got me into um, more alternative and heavy music in general. And I, I looked up to his sound and, and that band's sound and um, so that would probably be one of the most influential bands as far as music goes for me from childhood. Now, you know, did you discover it because, you know, I remember back then that Linkin Park, you couldn't avoid, like it was all over the TV, all over the press, the radio. Was that how you kind of got exposed to it? Or was it because, as you said, someone at school said, Hey, you know, you need to check this out. I think it started off with, um, a friend of mine, he showed me Limp Biscuit, mm-hmm. uh, and I really liked Limp Biscuit, but I resonated a bit better with Linkin Park, and that was something else that I heard from him as well. 
uh, my friend, his name was Billy. And, uh, so my parents didn't really like that as much. <laughs> they didn't really <laughs> like the really heavy stuff that at that time, I guess it's not really heavy by metal standards, but, uh, for a kid, like a, you know, fourth grade kid coming from a Christian background is pretty heavy to them. And I remember I wanted the, uh, the red New York Yankees hat, like mm-hmm. Fred Durst hat <laughs> growing, <laughs> growing up. Uh, but I, I think I liked Lincoln Park better. Um, Hybrid Theory had come out, and I heard uh, One Step Closer. That was the first song I ever heard from them. And uh, I was I was hooked from there. I think uh, they started getting on the radio. There was this channel called 102.1 The Edge growing up that my dad always put on in the morning eventually because he realized, you know, we're going to get exposed to, to rock music anyway, so I may as well just rock it at that point. <laughs> well, I guess, you know, if you had to um, look at either band, you, your parents were probably relieved that you did go Linkin Park because Linkin Park, while heavy in its own standard of heaviness, they weren't a band that dropped swear words. They didn't say fuck all the time. They didn't do all no, of they this. Didn't. Um, so they were probably very pleased you didn't go down the Fred Durst obsession. <laughs> yeah, I think they uh, they preferred Linkin Park over uh, Limp Bizkit, that's for sure. Limp Bizkit was definitely a lot more raw and unfiltered, but... But yeah, I meant eventually my uncle bought me the the red hat and my mom was not pleased with that. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, you said, you know, Christian kind of household. Um, so did that mean that they really, your parents were very cautious of where your tastes were going with music? Obviously, Linkin Park and Limp Bizkit is one thing, but your evolution in taste must have started to grow. So were they at any, any stage telling you you shouldn't shouldn't listen to things i think when i was in fourth grade so um i i started off my school journey being in uh, a christian private school mm-hmm. um my parents decided that they wanted to move from sort of the closer to the city to the suburbs and then i mo- started going to a, a public school at that point and then i was exposed more to um more mainstream music at that point. Um, when I was in fourth grade and I'd started that first year at that school, they were going through all the music that I was listening to. Um, and then eventually my parents, uh, split up when I was in fifth grade and, uh, sort of the filtering process, I guess, stopped happening Mm -hmm. as there had more important things to worry about, I guess. Um, at the time, which made sense to me, but, uh, that sort of loosened up and it just got to the point where I would say to my dad, uh, I wanted to burn a CD or something at the time. That sounds like an ancient thing to say now, <laughs> burning a CD. Um, and he, I would sort of give him a list of songs. And he would try and find the clean versions of the songs if they had any swear words. But that was about the extent of it. He would still let me listen to whatever I really wanted as long as it wasn't uh, swearing too much, I guess. So, you know, Linkin Park were the start of kind of I use quotation heavy bands you started getting into with Linkin Park. So when do you think you started becoming obsessed with music? Because to do what you do now means you must be basically you feed off music. So do you think there was a point where it just clicked and it became kind of like you're all and everything as a kid? Yeah. um, When I was in elementary school, it wasn't so much. Because I didn't really, I was more focused on sports. 
um, it, it, when I came into high school is when I started developing an interest for music. Um, I'd probably say around 10th grade, uh, I had a friend named Brad and he started showing me metalcore bands like Asley Dying and Still Remains and um, he showed me the original, actually no, another friend showed me the original uh, Bring Me the Horizon mm. full-length album, Count Your Blessings. And then I was exposed to local metal shows and I saw people performing and I wanted to be involved in that because I loved the energy. I'd never really experienced something like that prior. Um, and I think it was the live influence that sort of changed that. Listening to music was one thing, but it was another to actually see it perform live. And even if the bands weren't great, I was still moved by it um, at that point. So um, basically watched a few shows and I'm like, you know what? I want to be in a band too. And I started off with uh, guitar and bass and I wasn't great at it because I just started. And eventually I started playing bass and doing back backing vocals in a local band and the guy on the mic wasn't too great. He kind of left the band, and, and I asked if I could try it out, and that's that's the history right there. Was, that's how I got into vocals. I never really saw myself as a vocalist, but I did it out of necessity and found a love for it. Now you're mentioning live music, and you know it's important for a lot of people that feeling that you got with the live scene for you, the local live scene. Was it pretty vibrant growing up? Like, were there a lot of shows on and were there examples of local bands who were progressing out of the local scene and touring nationally or internationally? I'd say back at that point, it was mostly um, high school bands that mm -hmm. weren't maybe as serious, um, but there would be some touring bands that would come through uh, Back in the day, I remember going to a show that uh, Life Ruiner was headlining. Mm. I don't know if you've heard of that band before, mm -hmm. but that's a that's a little bit of an older reference. <laughs> um, and I remember seeing them and the, 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 the all-out violence that happened uh, in the pit uh, when that <laughs> band played. This was this must have been 2009 mm. or 2008 at the time, um, and. Uh, yeah, uh, sorry, I forgot where where I was going with that. But uh, it was it was those kind of bands. I didn't, as far as bands sort of progressing past the local stage, um, that didn't happen until a little bit later. Um, and sort of the shows locally stopped happening because the city started banning them due what? to concerns of um, liability. I guess you could say okay. <laughs> damages to the to the lion's halls and things like that. They didn't like that anymore. So shows started moving a little bit further to the city in Toronto. And at that point, now I'm exposed to more touring bands in the metal scene because it's this big city. So um, then I started trying to be in, more, in a more serious band myself and made those connections. And a few of the local bands that, at that time it started blowing up, there was a band called Structures. Mm -hmm. uh, and I knew all those guys from the local shows prior uh, when we were in high school. Um, band, a, a great band called Counterparts mm. that uh, that blew up as well. They were from Hamilton, but I they were sort of involved in shows in Toronto and around the city. And when I started playing in more serious bands, I was moving a little bit further through the province of Ontario. 
Um, yeah, those are those are the two two big ones from 2009 2010 that started sort of blowing up and um, yeah, that that became more frequent, I guess, because more of the shows were in Toronto and bands were tr- were really trying to to get to the next level after that. It was, I think, when I'm thinking of 2008, 2007, 2009, the bands a lot of the time were it was for fun, it was the scene, and it was cool at the time. Whereas then it sort of became a focus on the music, mm. and and the people that were sort of there for the the fashion the scene fashion or whatever, they sort of stopped, stopped going or whatever. And did the people that were really there for the music, they, they continued on and that's how it went. Now, you know, you mentioned early bands, you know, in high school. So what were you like in high school? Were you, you mentioned sport was kind of something you were into originally, but what I mean is what were you like with a career path? Because if you're in high school and you tell people, you know, I'm going to be in a band. This is what I'm going to focus on. A lot of people just go, yeah, "All right, Kyle. You know, come on. Like, let's have a career here." So, were you only caring about that music path as something to do, or were you looking at something to fall back on, or focusing on something else? I think um, back in those days, I was sort of misguided, and I focused more on social interactions. I guess I was a bit of a, a rebel. I like to skip school a lot and things like that. <laughs> so I didn't really care about a career path at that point. And so when I found something I was passionate about with the band, I was that was my number one focus. And I would try and do anything that I could to to make the band move forward. And I remember I, at the time I was in this band um, after high school that was called Centuries Apart. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was like a Christian metalcore band with some genty influence. And, uh, that band, uh, only lasted about a year. And I remember being so down that, you know, this band was doing well, but everybody wasn't, uh, down with it in, in the band anymore and down with continuing with that project. And, uh, then eventually from there, I decided to try and start my own project, which was the after image. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I sort of, always wanted to do the band thing and I, I stuck with it, did the aftermatch for a few years and it wasn't moving as in the way that we wanted it to. And as far as careers went, then I started working in the insurance industry mm. after that. And, uh, so I was doing insurance sales for personal lines, home and auto and doing pretty well with that. And I did that for a number of years, kind of put the aftermatch on the back burner and, and then, um, found that I missed the music uh, a lot and sort of tried to make another after image record and that didn't really work out as, as planned. But then we did the side project called uh brand of sacrifice mm. and uh, <laughs> I guess the rest is history and I'm no longer in insurance. <laughs> and I guess you wouldn't really say it's a side project anymore. Um, not really. No, definitely not. <laughs> now, you know, you mentioned earlier about the switch to kind of accidentally becoming a vocalist and it's quite, that's quite unique in itself, but it's also unique because your vocals now, when you look at stuff um, that you guys have released through Brand of Sacrifice, it's not amateurish. There is a level of technique and delivery that has kind of put you, without blowing smoke up your ass, has put you as one of those vocalists that everyone says, look, if you want to hear a vocalist who does this next level style, you need to hear Kyle. 
where was your evolution? Thank you, where was oh, I mean it, man? Like it's it's fucking just I don't have a <laughs> I don't have a word that can actually capture what I say. Just a noise. Um, where was your evolution? And learning and discovery with your instrument, because your instrument is your voice. So how did you go from being just an upstarter trying out vocals to now having this vocal that is world-destructing intense? Um, so when I first started doing vocals, it was the style was very different in metalcore, I guess, with vocals compared to it is how it is now. In the, in the deathcore world, I guess. Um, and I was sort of more, fo- more focused on uh, trying to learn to to sing eventually and do sort of basic highs, mids, and, and lows and things like that. Um, so I started off when I was in high school. I was doing, doing vocals wrong, that's for sure. Uh, I was doing sort of like fry screams. I was probably pushing a little too hard and, and, and inhaling initially when I started off. Uh, in high school and then got off that. I wanted to, um, sound like Scott from Carnifex. Mm. So I listened to a lot of, listened to a lot of Carnifex growing up and, uh, tried to mimic that sound and sort of learn how to do what you call false chord screams at mm-hmm. that point. And, uh, I didn't really focus as much on having like a really brutal sound back then. It was just sort of to be able to, to just do your basic screams and then, um, learn to do some singing vocals, which was what I did in, in the after image. I did both the, the clean singing and the, and the, the heavy vocals, but I always had sort of an itch to do brutal vocals, whether if it was like slam or, or death core or anything like that. And I remember, uh, the guitarist of Brandon sacrifice, him and I were in the after image as well. And we would make random songs for fun when we were bored because we lived together in 2013. And uh, we actually experimented with something that sort of sounds like the beginning of, of Eclipse back then mm. uh, when it kicks in after the, uh, after the, the sort of choir and um, movie soundtrack sounding intro. And uh, we did that and it sort of sounded like uh, Beneath the Massacre with like a slam part. And we just kind of forgot about that and canned it. And then we came back to it years later, like five years later, because I wanted to do something heavy. And, and I had to actually learn a lot of new techniques and focus on getting my my lows a lot more um, ballsy and, and full sounding, because I didn't really focus on those type of things before with the after image as much. Um, so I just took, I actually spent a lot of time just focusing on screamed vocals. And the, most of the development that you hear currently with Brand of Sacrifice was in the last few years of really getting serious about upping my my vocal game, I guess. So I had the foundation, but um, I had to learn a lot as well in the past four, three or four years or so. Are you always comfortable, you know, even back in the after image days, but now especially, are you always happy and comfortable hearing back your vocal takes? Are you a big self-critic? Do you always try and push yourself or are you reasonably happy with how it always sounds and maybe it's someone else outside of you that tells you you need to push it or change it or try something else? Excuse me. Um, back in the after image, um, 
I, I wasn't as happy with my low end back then. Mm-hmm. And I just didn't really knew, know how to deal with it. And I wasn't really a focus, like I said. I, did, I just did them here and there. But um, I, when I go back and listen to the aftermarket vocals, I'm like, ah, oh, I could do so much better now with this stuff. Um, so I definitely, back then I thought it was decent. But now when I look back at it, you know, with, uh, with hindsight, in hindsight, I, uh, I definitely think those could be better. But uh, at the time, I thought it was okay, I think. <laughs> so. <laughs> what about now? Do you are you very critical of what you do now, or are you pretty relaxed and you know what you're doing hits the spot almost every time? Uh, I, I think there's improvements that I can always make. Um, one of the things I struggle with sometimes is endurance, mm-hmm. and that's something I, I got to work on a lot more. It's been tougher to deal with uh, in the pand- during the pandemic. Touring really helps with that particular issue, but I'm always trying to to level up in some ways. Um, you know, vocals have, I've, I think vocals have sort of skyrocketed in the last few years, especially with this new deathcore resurgence. Um, so you got to keep up. That's the way I see it. Now let's, let's talk a little bit about Afterimage before we really deep dive into Brand of Sacrifice. And, you know, for anyone listening, Afterimage, you know, you had two EPs and an album. Two of those are on Tragic Hero. Looking back not stylistically wise, because we're kind of talking genty core, metalcore stuff. But mm-hmm. was it a band that you guys were four hundred percent invested in? And do you think it was just you know it didn't quite hit the mark because you guys had you know like I said three releases. It looked like momentum was doing things, but why do you think it didn't quite last to still being something today? There's a few reasons. Um, the first reason is um, decision-making issues. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were younger. We made a lot of choices that I feel weren't in the best interest of the band, and that was due to just simply not understanding the industry as much um, and not having a lot of experience. So, and there's a lot of uh, a lot of times we would do silly things where we would want to work with a certain producer and then we'd pay a deposit and then we'd change our mind and be like, Oh no, we want to work with this guy instead. So we did a lot of stuff like that where it was just stupid waste of money. Um, I think as well, there was a lot of member changes and things like that. Um, and a lot of, um, indecisiveness as far as what we wanted to sound like. Um, and then just sort of, with things not working out and going right with releases and mixes and things like that, it's just it was sort of a, a big sort of snowball effect of of negative things happening. So, so we thought we decided it'd be better to have a fresh start um, and sort of end that project once uh, Brand of Sacrifice started to see some success overall. So, and obviously, a lot of those lessons, like you said, it's because you're young and inexperienced. You've obviously been able to put in your pocket and take with you into brand of sacrifice oh for certainly one of those is probably the cliche um you know i've said it to other guests it's the cliche buying 400 shirts and only really realistically needing 50 to sell oh yeah those those type of things are, are definitely an issue and um investing in the wrong things and i mean we had we did some tours in canada in the middle of winter and had vans break down and have to ship back our trailer and a lot of stuff that's just like 
heartbreaking at the time and doesn't, you know, it's, it's hard to come back in some ways. Um, when you, you just sort of have things go wrong constantly. Was, was the after image kind of having it, did you have a fan base going, um, not only in Canada, obviously, but kind of USA based? Like, were you a band that you could say realistically, you had people out there that would regularly turn up to shows if you put on a show? Yeah, I'd say so. Um, we were still a relatively small band, but we did one tour in the U.S. with uh, Era, Polyphia, and Invent Animate back in 2015, and uh, that went pretty well. And all those bands at that time were growing. And if you look, it's funny to, to look at them now, where you know Era's blown up, and especially Polyphia has blown up comparatively to uh, 2015. Mm. But uh, that sh- that sh- sure uh, tour did all right, and. Uh, I think we could have done more, but I think after that tour, we sort of wanted to go. And I remember there was a, a while where we started writing like pretty much like rock music stuff, um, which was quite different than what we had been coming up with. And we that sort of halted everything. And one of the members of the band, Sam Jacobs, uh, he left after that. He wasn't really like in the direction and uh, the band was going and, and we weren't quite sure what we wanted to do if we were going to tour again things like that. So it was just, that's where I was mentioning before about the indecisiveness about how we wanted to sound. And, um, Sam didn't really write as much, but, uh, he was definitely like a face online in that band. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of, it was funny. A lot of people think that he wrote <laughs> the majority of the music and they're like, Oh, this band sounds different now because Sam Jacobs isn't in it anymore kind of thing. And it's like, no, he didn't actually he wrote maybe uh, some riffs on some songs, and he wrote a full song called "Reach," that was on our uh, Lumiere album. So, but uh, yeah, I think after that point, we just made we should have just continued with the metalcore stuff we were doing, and um, I think that may have changed where the band was. But again, bad decision making, uh, sort of what was the problem there. And you know, you mentioned earlier that you, you know stopped the after image and you became an insurance man and suddenly you know you rediscover your want and your passion for doing music so talk us through kind of the development of bringing together brand of sacrifice yeah so um after that 2015 scenario i think Leo had written a bunch of those sort of rock type songs for the afterimage, and then we tried to work on those. But Leo moved back to the states by then, and he was focused on what he was doing at the time, uh, working in in the tech industry in the states. Um, and he put music aside too to work on his career. And eventually, I wanted to bring back the afterimage. So we wrote, we did a single in 2017 called pursue. And I, we got a new guy in the band called Asher at that time who was writing all the material that was on our record called Eve. And he wrote that single pursue as well. And, um, we, we did that whole album and then Asher left and Leo came back and we did a couple of shows in Japan with Leo in the band again. Um, and then I think before that 
Japan process, he rejoined. We were going to potentially write more after image or, or not. We weren't sure yet. And, but we had already been working on the brand of sacrifice stuff right before we went to Japan in uh, May of 2018. And, uh, actually the, that EP came around out, uh, May, May of 2018, initially when we self-released it before we got signed to Unique Leader. Um, but it was simply just shooting stuff back and forth on Facebook Messenger, and I sort of sent him um, just like a bunch of different tunes that I dug the sound of and the vibe I wanted to go for, and he kind of sent me something a little bit different than what I sent him, and the first song that we worked on was Eclipse, actually. Mm. And, uh, so we, he, he sent me those, uh, stems and I worked on the vocals and sent it back to him. And we just sort of did the whole EP of the interstice just back and forth and then released it right when we went to Japan with the after image and weren't really sure if we were going to do anything else. Probably we're just going to do the one EP and that, and that was that, but the EP started getting more traction than the after image was with the full length. And then we started taking it a lot more seriously at that point but it was just leo and i so so stylistically i mean it's like apples and pears you know it's um there is a core element in them but they're both different styles of core or you know one's just got slam big influence one's got kind of gent influence did you from the offset want to just be balls to the wall extremely heavy with Brand of Sacrifice? Exactly. I wanted it to be night and day, mm. comparatively. Um, and also, just be the most extreme that music that we could come up with at the time. That's basically what I wanted to do. And uh, I think he... There's some things, if you really listen to the After Image, the songs that he wrote at least, you can see some like little hints of his writing and it sort of makes sense in some ways, but stylistically and the sound and sound wise, it's, it's much different because it's that much heavier, but, um, yeah. It was also a time, you know, we're talking 2018 when the band kind of, as you said, kind of formed and we started really doing its thing. The style of music that you guys do at the time, I think a lot of people considered was, there were bands doing it, but I don't think anyone really considered it a popular thing to do. Now, I'm not saying now it's popular, but I think more people are welcome to it because I think in 2018 people were ashamed to say, I enjoy Deathcore or I enjoy Slam. Now it's like, people are like, yeah, I'm into this shit and this shit's good. Um, did you, were you aware of that going on when you started Brand of Sacrifice? Um, it's funny because there was sort of, I guess, a glimmer of, there's a, there's a devout, uh, fan base for the style, I guess the slamming influence deathcore back then. I think it sort of started in 2017. Um, I didn't even know that it was a thing personally, cause I had not paid attention to deathcore at all. I wasn't listening to any deathcore, didn't know what bands were around when we made that EP. Um, but I think it definitely grew significantly in the past couple of years, um, especially in 2019, I, uh, massive growth for that type of style. Um, and I think it's 
interestingly enough, becoming more popular with mainstream metal listeners in some ways, which is unexpected for sure. Because um, I think this, that's necessarily the style that we do, but a number of the bands like Shadow of Intent and Lorna Shore and bands like that involved in the scene, I think people sort of didn't realize that they wanted that, but they were seeking something more than just your run-of-the-mill standard deathcore style, I guess. Hmm. So I think that's why it's become very popular lately because there's a lot of bands that are changing the game up a little bit. Well, it also helps that there's bands like yourself um, that are from other regions. You know, we get a lot of bands that are predominantly American and you look at yourselves and then you look across the water at the UK and you've got a band like Ingested as well. So Mm -hmm. I I think there's quite an international flavor now coming into it as well, which is refreshing for younger bands in your local scenes that can look up to bands like Brand of Sacrifice and Ingested and say that if this band from my country is doing it, then I can do it. Because sometimes seeing American bands do it, you just kind of go, yeah, it's American bands. They always seem to do it. Yeah, um, I think that's great. And it also means that uh, when this is all over with the coronavirus stuff uh that there's gonna be more connections worldwide with different tour packages uh being comprised of bands from all over the the world which is cool now you mentioned earlier the ep that you kind of self-released at first and then you had the link up with unique leader which went for about two years until till recently so how did that link up come about like did they approach you or did you approach them um, they approached us. So, um, Eric, the original owner, uh, of unique leader who sadly passed away a couple of years ago, um, he had heard the band, I guess he found us on YouTube or something of that nature. And, uh, he had reached out to the current owner, Jamie, who was involved with unique leader at the time. And he, he asked him to get us signed and, uh, Jamie reached out to us and we actually uh, declined it at first. We were going to stick with the uh, independent model and uh, we sort of negotiated eventually, decided that we would go that route. But that's sort of the process that uh, was behind it. Um, And it's funny because you look at Eric who, you know, was writing Deeds of Flesh and has such a, a hand in sort of your standard, not standard, but like very extreme types of progressive metal, I guess you could say, which Unique Leader is often was previously known for. And now we've got a lot of more uh, slammy bands involved in deathcore bands, which is cool. But Eric actually enjoyed that stuff. And he he was responsible for signing Rings of Saturn initially Mm. when they were starting out. So he he had an ear for, for deathcore. Which is which I thought was really cool from a guy who's kind of more involved in progressive and tech death metal, you know. So now, obviously, your relationship lasted for a while, and then it became quite, you know, going independent. I think is I think it's a smart move nowadays because I don't think necessarily bands need a label. Um, I think you can do a lot of things on your own. But it made a lot of news that you guys were you know, no longer going to be with Unique Leader for the upcoming album, uh, Lifeblood. So talk us through, you know, the decision and 
were you surprised that it made quite a bit of news that you were going independent? I was definitely surprised that it, it made a lot of news, but I think um, it's just something becoming something that's a little more commonplace, and uh, especially in deathcore, surprisingly. Uh, you've got bands like Angel Maker, who are also from Canada, and mm. uh, Shadow of Intent, who are independent and uh, both relatively successful in their own ways. Um, our contract initially with uh, Unique Leader was uh, pretty much uh, it was done. We've already fulfilled the the obligation within it, and uh, originally we were going to do Lifeblood again and sort of make make a new contract. But I think we had spent enough time in the industry and worked in on the back end and started to understand things a little more uh, over time. And we're pretty DIY as it is. Like we produce our own music, we mix it ourselves and I record my own vocals here. Um, we handle a lot of our art direction and things like that. And uh, we decided, you know what? Um, I think we can take the next step here and maybe it'll increase the workload, but the, the payoff will be that much more. Um, so I feel... And we, we had many discussions with, you know, our peers that are doing it as well. And we found that I think now was the time to do it. And um, it, it's also in a way um, kind of a way to, to prove ourselves mm. um, that we can still move forward and, and grow as a band, even if we're not um, backed by a label as well. And uh, I, I just want to say as well uh no, no, nothing against Unique Leader. They were absolutely incredible to us uh, when we were we were there on the label. It treated us amazingly, and they've got an incredible group of people that are responsible. Maddie Way and of course uh, Jamie Graham, and uh, I can't thank them enough for all the help that they gave Brand of Sacrifice when we were a part of Unique Leader as well. So, I think I think the move um, is really smart. You know, it is putting all bets on yourself, which I think you need to do. Um, you're a band that have kind of, in a way, a cult following. There are a lot of fans of this band, and at a time when, especially for the foreseeable future, touring isn't a thing, you need to keep the band going in a revenue sense of way. And it's not anti-label, but if you control everything yourself, you guys know that you can bring in the income when you can to keep the band going. Oh yeah, for sure. I think uh, we don't have any plans on stopping what we're doing right now. We want to move forward, and like exactly what you're saying, it's it's uh, it's something that can keep it keep the the wheels turning when you have the finances to do so. Um, so I think that's it's 100% true what you're saying there. It's also important that you're a band like yourself, who you know you said that you already self DIY a lot of things. Anyway, but, you know, you, you just look at Lifeblood with the release and PR that you've kind of self-done at the moment. You've got that Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh uh, merch <laughs> stuff. Uh, fucking love it. Um, the singles, you know, you've got the artwork. Um, has the reception from fans so far, I know the, the album doesn't come out till March the 5th, but so far are you seeing a positive response from fans to pre-orders and to singles and things like that oh certainly i think the response is pretty overwhelmingly positive um i i'm very thankful and very humbled by the response and it's a it was it's definitely 
as far as our, the streams go, it's been more than we anticipated. That's for sure. Um, so I'm, I'm very happy with, with, with the response. And, uh, I think if people are enjoying the first two singles, they're most certainly going to enjoy the rest of the record as well. So I'm very excited to, to have them hear that. I remember when we were going to release our song Demon King, I was a little nervous. I was, uh, thinking, oh, well, it's a bit of a different album mix now, and I'm trying some new vocal styles, and um, we're, we're just going for an even more larger-than-life <laughs> kind of sound, and I was worried about the response, but it was, it was very positive, so from there, I was feeling more confident about everything, so I'm um, really excited to get the whole thing out there. Dude, that title track, when you drop that, ooh, when that choir hits before that, <laughs> that, big, that big drop... Oh, like, fuck yes, man. That That's funny. For that song, I uh, we were pretty much done the whole album, and I talked to Lee. I'm like, hey, man, we need another song with a choir section mm. because, um, number one, I love it myself personally, and I wanted that to, that to return, but also I was feeling that uh, there was sort of a, a demand to have that return. So it's sort of a callback to Eclipse in a way, but also um, forward thinking in others. So um, we actually wrote an additional song, which is that one, just so we could uh, incorporate that. And it ended up making the most sense as a closer to the record. It went in context. So worked out great in, oh, that, in that respect. Fucking banger. Um, I mentioned earlier the Pokemon Yu-Gi-Oh stuff. Um, where, where did that come from and i noticed that you guys had to say that you know there was more of it available because it obviously flew off the shelf in many sense of the word so where's that come from have you got a fan base that are just obsessed with this or are you guys obsessed with it um so we work with a company called rising merch for our uh i guess eu uk and worldwide sort of um orders um and uh, Jack, who is responsible for that uh, company, is also plays guitar on Solar to Prevail. Um, he was he wanted to do a drop with a number of the the more popular bands involved on there, and he uh, made an anime themed one and a gaming themed one. But he brought it to the bands to decide um, what sort of anime or games you wanted to be incorporated. So I, I came up with the concepts for both of those. Um, just because I was feeling sort of nostalgic, uh, with the Yu-Gi-Oh one and I was huge into Yu-Gi-Oh cards, uh, growing up and things like that. So that was sort of my choice that I think a lot of people share that sentiment and are, uh, super nostalgic about Yu-Gi-Oh or still involved in Yu-Gi-Oh cards now. Um, so, and, and I, I figured the most sort of known card other than dark magician is probably blue eyes so uh sort of sort of a, appeal to a bit of a wider audience with that and then the uh the sort of smash brothers themed pokemon design um always loved mewtwo growing up uh even back to the black and white pokemon games <laughs> the original ones and <laughs> um so that that was just a just an obvious choice, and I, then I also wanted to pick like a, a newer popular character, Pokemon character in, in Smash Brothers, Lucario, so uh, and just sort of have them fighting. So 
And I, I think that one has been pretty popular as well. So it's, it's sort of nostalgia that powered those. And, and I feel like, like I said, a lot of people share the same sentiment with those. Oh, clearly. The fact that you, you've said there's more available um, shows in itself that it's popular. Um, wanted to ask about, you know, the decision to still release an album um, that you're going to release on March 5th, Lifeblood, when you, you can't still for the foreseeable future tour. Um, a big thing for bands is you release an album either just before your tour or during your tour, um, so you can kind of generate some attention for it. Was was it something that you guys heavily thought about and possibly contemplated delaying the release of the album? I th- we thought of that, but we also saw the pandemic as actually an opportunity in some ways. Um, there's a number of bands that have decided to go that route, and I think in some ways that might sort of be a mistake because there's a, a demand for new music right now. A lot of people are at home, they still listen to music regularly, and they want to enjoy something that's new and not be stuck with the, the stuff. I mean, obviously, old music is fine, but hearing something new and to get excited about is, is awesome too. So I think we felt that there wouldn't be any negative consequence to doing that. Of course, we would love to tour it with it. That would be the best case scenario, but I, I feel that's actually an opportunity since streams are up um, statistically during the pandemic. So what about, um, you know, you, you mentioning the opportunity with the pandemic that, you know, there's more listeners, but what about from a creative standpoint that you've got this done and cause you know, you've still got quite a bit of time possibly for a while for you guys. Do you take time and keep writing or do you let this, kind of ferment with the listeners for a while before you even think of start writing i think we're immediately going to continue to write nice i think i think we're gonna put the record out and then a few months later we might even have more music coming Ooh, see that's efficiency that i think like you said some bands um maybe have missed this opportunity with i i think so and i think there's bands like uh fit for a king who understood that it's an opportunity as well. They even did a, a live stream show that was very successful on on Twitch. Um, and their album absolutely went insane as far as streams go. They're, and they're, I think last time I checked, that band is sitting at like a million monthly listeners on Spotify. That's, that's incredible. So they saw some massive growth uh, releasing during the pandemic. So it's certainly an opportunity. And I... I I can't stress it enough that bands should should try and um, get some stuff out there. What are your thoughts on the whole live streaming stuff? You know, I know you are big into Twitch and you do all of that, but where are you sit, um, A, from a fan's perspective of music, but also B, from being in a band of, you know, the Code Oranges and, as you mentioned, Fit for a King and this, that do these streamed, um, set up production shows. Are you a fan of it, or do you think um, it's now becoming a bit too much of everyone's doing it? I think I'm sort of have mixed feelings with it. From a business standpoint, I think it's a really cool idea. Um, but also as a fan, I also think it's cool in certain ways. 
So I, uh, I personally, uh, subscribe to the, uh, one of the more recent August Burns Red, uh, streams where they played, uh, Thrill Seeker in full. And they actually had during that show, the original singer come out and do a song, which was, that was awesome. And you can hear everything extremely clearly. Um, from that standpoint, it's very, very interesting and very enjoyable, but Obviously, there's a little bit of a hollow feeling because there's no one in the crowd. And that energy is not the same as actually being there. So that's sort of the negative I can see with it. But from a business standpoint, I think it's a smart idea for some people. And I think sometimes, especially if you can have a very cool production with a lot of lights and uh, smoke and all, the, all that kind of cool stuff to make it, you know, really, really stand out as far as production goes. I think that's it's very interesting. But. So, so it's sort of mixed feelings, but I, I generally like it. Uh, yeah, see, I'm the same. I, I don't, I, I kind of enjoy it. My only thing with it is I'm a bit worried that it's becoming too common. Um, it seems mm. like every Tom, Dick and Harry is doing one now, and it was kind of a very rare thing. Um, and it now seems like every band is having its go at it. And then, as you said, it's a bit hollow, so it starts becoming even more hollow if every band's doing it. Yeah, I can definitely see that. Um, that's why I sort of liked the idea of doing a special stream, like the August Burns Red one, where it was a Thrill Seeker mm. exclusive. Like, that adds value to it, instead of it just being sort of a normal set that you would get on a tour package kind of thing. Um, so... Thinking a little bit outside the box with those is probably the next step forward um, to sort of uh, disconnect yourself from the pack a little bit. Would it would it be something that you guys would ever consider doing? Have you ever thought of doing it? We actually considered doing it, but there was just a number of uh, obstacles in the way because of the pandemic. Uh, right now, where I am locally in, in uh, Canada, um, they're sort of declared the state of emergency and uh, it's all locked down again. So uh, it makes it difficult to, to to get over to the States, which is probably where we would film something like that if we were to do it. So it just didn't really pan out, but we had thought about it. It's just, uh, it's difficult. <laughs> you got some members in Canada, some in the States, to, to make it all happen. Now, a couple more questions I had was one with Lifeblood coming out. You mentioned earlier about, you know, you kind of, vocally have tried to push things and change things up a bit um in this genre or scene how do you find a way to stay fresh don't stay stale and in any more in in many ways i mean i don't like the phrase but stay relevant to your listener base i think it's a combination of understanding the landscape uh and what's going on but also, it's sort of a balance. So when we, when we were writing Lifeblood, Michael and I were not listening to anything that was, like we weren't listening to any of our peers or any of the modern deathcore stuff or death metal stuff when we wrote Lifeblood. We just sort of listened to pop music and R&B, whatever we were listening to from outside that. And I think that helps you stay fresh. Um, especially when you're not listening to anything that's, deathcore involved in what or similar to what you're doing but it's also you need to see what sort of 
is popular and trendy. You don't do things because it's a gimmick, but just be aware of it at least. What about, um, you know, the album is not far away. You've had some singles. Um, in an ideal world, what do you hope people get from this album? What are you hoping they take away from Lifeblood? I'm hoping for a couple things. Um, the first would be that they understand that we're focusing more on structure and songwriting. Um, as far as I think you can kind of see it with Demon King and Lifeblood that there are some more choruses and repeating parts. But we still try and take you for a little bit of a ride where you're not expecting exactly what's going to happen next. So that's the first part. And the second part would be I'm hoping that we can maybe steal some people from the metalcore world and get them in, into uh, something that's a little bit heavier than they're used to. And I think we've made some changes in some ways that would appeal to that sort of audience more without alienating our existing fan base that is obviously of utmost importance. So those are the two things that I'm hoping for with the album. And kind of last thing before we look to wrap things up, um, if you could in some weird way go back and talk to an earlier self of Kyle and around the time of After Image, you've had all this insight now, you've had all this experience. What would you tell yourself that you think now you wish you always knew? And in a part, this is kind of your advice also to people who are younger, looking to start a band, looking to maybe pursue the band, keep it pushing. What are those couple of little tidbits that you'd like to tell them? I'd probably tell them three things. The first would be um, not to give up when you're discouraged. Um, I think if I didn't, in some ways I think the hiatus I took was good. In others, I feel like I could have uh, moved forward faster in some ways. But there would be that. The other thing would be to... Um, I used to take things like YouTube comments and, you know, reviews and on sites like Sputnik music to heart a lot back then, because, you know, you pour your heart and soul into something and it's sort of an extension of who you are as a person in some ways. So it's easy to take things personally. If you hear something negative, obviously constructive criticism is great too, but, um, I would tell that, that, that Kyle not to be too worried about that. Um, because it's not worth the the energy. Uh, and then, as well, I would tell him to practice more. <laughs> <laughs> not be lazy. <laughs> They're great. That's great little tidbits of advice. Um, Kyle, we're going to finish up with... We've had 145 guests, and everyone has had this same way of wrapping up. Um, it's called Pick Your Poison. What I do is I give you two options. You pick your favorite of the two. You can justify your answer, but you also don't have to. Some are going to be easy. Okay. Some are going to be easy. Some are going to be hard. Um, there's a range of questions or options, um, but we're basically going to find out what makes Kyle tick. Okay. All, All right. right. 
Okay. Pizza or a burger? Uh, pizza. Okay. Uh, Chinese takeaway or Indian takeaway? Um, Chinese. Okay. Smooth peanut butter or crunchy peanut butter? Crunchy. Soft taco or crunchy taco? Definitely a soft taco. Are you a coffee or a tea man? Definitely coffee. I got one right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, chicken or beef? Uh, beef, specifically steak. Ooh, what kind of steak? Oh, I like a filet mignon. Ooh, nice. Um, beer or whiskey? Depends on the day, but I do like my IPAs. Okay. Um, would you rather cook at home or dine out? Dine out. New movie comes out. Do you want to see it at the cinema or wait to watch it on the couch? Definitely the cinema. Prefer the cinema experience. Now, the next one's going to be a bit interesting because of where you live, but would you rather spend the day at the beach or spend the day at the snow? Hmm. I think I'd rather spend the day in the snow. Um, things like skating I really like, and I'd like to get into more skiing or snowboarding again. I used to do that a lot as a kid, but I haven't done it in a while. Okay, or playing hockey. Next one is skateboarding or snowboarding. I'm better at skateboarding than I am at snowboarding, but I like them both. So I probably have to go with skateboarding. Okay. Uh, cat or dog? Cat. PlayStation or Xbox? Um, hmm. Probably PlayStation for this generation. Mortal Kombat or Street Fighter? Street Fighter for sure. Got Akuma uh, painted on my wall. Ooh. Um, Halo or Doom? Musically, Doom, Halo for gameplay. Okay. Grand Theft Auto or Red Dead? Uh, GTA. Nice. Especially the, um, I'm into the server called No Pixel, mm -hmm. where it's sort of, um, you get to pretend to be someone. It's a sort of an acting type thing. It's kind of cool. I like to watch Twitch streamers go and play on that server and um, what do you call that? It's not called LARPing. I don't know the exact word for it. Well, I can't think of it either, but I know what you're talking about, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Game Boy or Switch? Um, I have not played Switch before, Ooh. but I did play on the Game Boy. Um, my brother has a Switch and so is my girlfriend, but I probably have to go with Game Boy for nostalgia. It's the old school, those cartridges. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, okay, some movie ones. Terminator franchise or Predator franchise? I'm going to go with uh, Terminator. Okay. Rambo or Rocky? Rocky. Freddy or Jason? Uh, Jason. Okay. James Bond or Jason Bourne? I think I'm a Bond guy. My my dad and I used to go see the films as they came out all the time, so it's like a positive uh, interaction. 
Star Wars or Star Trek? Um, I would have said originally Star Wars, but I have taken a liking to watching like old Next Generation Star Trek. Mm. <laughs> so maybe I'll go Star Trek on that one. Um, that that Next Generation is on every afternoon, early evening on Australian TV still to this day. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Always. It's always on one of the channels. It's crazy. Um, South Park or Simpsons? Um, I'm going to have to go with Simpsons. I've got a nice uh, custom skateboard of Bart on my wall. Ooh. Um, okay, so music ones. Suicide Silence or Whitechapel? That's a hard one. I'm going to have to go Suicide Silence, though. So. Okay. Cannibal Corpse or Black Dahlia Murder? I am a fan of Black Dahlia Murder. What about Metallica or Megadeth? Metallica. Slipknot or Machine Head? Slipknot, for sure. Limp Biscuit or Corn? Limp Biscuit. Okay. Um, last few. You're playing a show. Let's imagine you're playing a show because you haven't for a while because you can't, unfortunately. But you're playing a mm-hmm. show and there's no barriers and anything can go. Would you rather stage dives are happening or mic grabs are happening during the show? Uh, stage dives. Now, you're going to go to a show. Are you going to watch it from the center of the pit or are you going to watch it by the sound desk? I'm probably going to watch it by the sound desk. I'm not a, not much of a mosher especially these days. <laughs> well, it's also where the, the best sound is. That's, you know. Yeah, one. that's for sure. Um, now, one you need to have for the other to exist, but let's imagine they exist independently of each other. Would you rather tour for the rest of your life or just record music for the rest of your life? I think as far as I feel right now, I'd rather tour. Mm. Now, last one. It's the only triple one. I'm going to give you your all-time favorite album. Would you rather it on CD, vinyl, or on your phone? Um, that's a tough one because I would prefer the wax, but eventually that might get damaged. So if it's on my phone, I can digitally reproduce it. Mm. Well answered, that one. Um, Kyle... Wow, thank you for this. Um, a lot of love, a lot of respect, a lot of appreciation for you, not only taking the time out but being an enjoyable guest. Um, I had only one note and only had to look at it once, had nothing else written down. It was free-flowing, it was fun, um, and really insightful for the listeners to get to know you more but also get to know the band more. So I really appreciate this, man. Thank you so much for having me here. I appreciate you having me on. Thank you, man. And pump for this album to come out. I hope it blows up even more uh, for you guys. You guys, you know, you need it too because you deserve it. Thank you, man. Um, and I'm glad we could do this. We should do something like this again sometime. Yeah, I'm always down for part two. Maybe later in the year we'll reflect on how the sure. first release, how Lifeblood went and all that jazz. But um, I'll stay in touch and appreciate you and have a great day. Yeah, you too, man. You take care. Thanks, Jeremy. Uh, Thanks, Kyle.
So that was my chat with Kyle of Brand of Sacrifice. And at the end there, you heard the band's track Demon King, which is from their upcoming album Lifeblood, which sees its release March 5th. The second track you heard was Charlotte, and the third track was Divinity. Both of those are off the band's debut album titled God Hand. Now's the part of the show where I spark that thing inside you to support the band that's been on the show. So if you enjoyed the conversation or you enjoyed the music at the end there, now's your chance. Get online, support Kyle, support this band. Stream it, download that music, get it into your fucking ear holes. If you're into merch or physical copies, all of that can be found online. Make sure you dive in, make sure you pre-order that new album that is coming out March 5th. As I said earlier, it's titled Lifeblood. I've got to take this moment to thank Kyle again. Thank you so very, very, very much, dude, for taking time out for me and the Mosh Zone. Much love, much respect, much appreciated, dude. Definitely going to take you up on another conversation. A part two chat will definitely be coming up later in the year. And that's it. That's the Mosh Zone episode 146 done, dusted, all wrapped up, locked away for this week. Guys, if you're a first-time listener, thank you for tuning in. I hope you come back over future weeks on future episodes. If you're a regular listener, thank you as always for tuning in and hope you come back in future weeks. This time of the show is when I remind you that we need your help to get out to more listeners. So if you've got a few moments this week and you enjoyed this episode, share it on your social medias. Also, tell everyone you know about the Mosh Zone. Help us out. Help us grow this Mosh Zone community. Also, at this time of the show, I need to remind you that if you want to find Mosh News and Mosh Reviews, we have it all on our website and social medias. Our website is www.themoshzone.com. Our social medias are all at The Mosh Zone, and you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Also, don't forget... You can also get in touch through our email address, which is themoshzone at gmail.com. Get in touch, guys. Help us grow this Mosh Zone community. There's not much else to talk about. That is all of my rambling done. Thank you for tuning in. Have a great week. Stay safe. Open the pitch.